What's up, everybody? Kings and priests. What's up, Dean? Hey, mate. Uh, everything. <laughs> I was challenged just getting cameras to work here, but we're all good. Technical difficulties, but we've got yeah, it all figured out, huh? Yep. Um, so it's Masters Week. Yeah. And Tiger's plan. I know. I was just watching a little bit, actually. Which is which is pretty crazy. At masters.com. Yep. Um, yeah, man. I think the whole world is, you know, pulling for him. If, I, if he may has a top 10, it'll be, mm-hmm. you know, a miracle. If he wins, saw, all, everyone will be out of their mind. Yeah. I have a funny master story for you that you're going to love. So this mm-hmm. morning, so a buddy of mine plays for a country artist. He's a, like an MD and bass player for a country artist. They're at the Masters all week. They've been there all week and all weekend, and they're Love just it. playing a bunch of shows. So he said they were at this party last night after playing a show. I think it was like a CAA party, 2 a.m. Him and all the band members are all talking and talking to somebody. Or not, sorry, not this morning, yesterday. And someone says, hey, I got a tea time uh, at Augusta tomorrow at 7.30. I can't make it. Do you guys want it? So they're like, okay, yeah. So they go, they finish the party, they go back to the tour bus with all the intention of waking up that morning to go play. They all slept through their alarms oh. and didn't go play around at Augusta. Really? That's they hard told to me do that this morning. That, it made there's two or three courses in America that are like virtually impossible to get on. That's one of them. I was gonna say that's like once in a lifetime opportunity. Oh yeah. That right? and like Cypress Point. Pine Valley, you know, those, those kind of courses are mm-hmm. epic. Yeah. So. He texted me that this morning and was like, man, we were just up too late. And I was like, man, I don't know <laughs> that there's anything that could keep me from, I'd probably shoot 200, uh, yeah. on Augusta the week before the masters. But I, I yeah. saw, um, this company, this golf company that I love Malbon, they're, uh, um, they're, uh, like a f- golf fashion gear company or whatever. Right. And they sent out an Instagram yesterday once Tiger announced that he was playing that if Tiger wins, anything that is purchased through their site starting yesterday all the way through Sunday will be refunded in full, <laughs> which I thought was a genius, genius yeah, marketing, uh, marketing Absolutely. move. Um, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Yep. Uh, let's talk briefly, and we don't have to go into it because it's. I feel like you can't look anywhere without seeing it in the news but elon musk buying almost nine and a half percent of twitter yeah. in cool the last that? couple of weeks that's pretty crazy um well first i want to get like your thoughts on it my first question is is when you're buying up this much of a stock like i mean that's got to that doesn't just you can't just do that quietly no right? you, you can't go on your robin hood account and drop three yeah. million on on Twitter, right. so right, um, there, it would have been maybe a month in the making. The, the stock wouldn't have just been from the open market alone. He would have probably acquired it from other big stakeholders. You know, mm-hmm. the board would have known about it at Twitter. Like, so once it became publicly known, I think Twitter was up like twenty five percent. And yeah, um, but you know, look, there's a guy. He's worth you know, at, depending on what day it is and what the stock at tesla is is 250 mm-hmm. 300 billion and like what a cool like he believes in free speech mm-hmm. and so much so that he drops you know um three billion on on this stake in twitter with the full intention of and he's on the board that was announced mm-hmm. and he's going to shake it back up and you mm-hmm. know it's not really a left right kind of political thing it's a do right. we believe that free speech is 
important to be free. Mm-hmm. He rightly mm-hmm. calls Twitter the town hall, you know, of, mm-hmm. of the world. And mm-hmm. uh, banning people for expressing views that you don't agree with is uh, a fast way to, you know, destroy democracy. So mm-hmm. power to him, man. And, and I yeah. think that between the Twitter stock going up and Tesla stock going up, I think he basically covered the cost. Yeah, <laughs> like he made, anyway, right? he yeah. made a couple of billion in the, in the same day. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I, it made me think of a question. So I was listening yesterday to the latest uh, This Week in Startups where I think Cal Canis interviews that Antonio Garcia Martinez and some other some other guy. Yep. And they start talking about this and they're talking about this idea of free speech. And something that got brought up that I actually had never thought about on this thought of like free speech in Twitter is, is it free speech when it is like bots and algorithms creating right. a lot of the content, right? So right. hopefully Elon can go in and figure out like yeah. what's real, what's not real. Right. Right. Yeah, I, mean, look, I, I mean, I just, I just don't think Twitter has done enough. Like Twitter is worth 40 something billion, right? It's not mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a big company, but it's, it's not like the other socials. It's a very targeted yep. type platform and it's very powerful and it has a lot of power in it. So they should be doing mm-hmm. everything they can. And I can't believe they can't do this. Any Anyone who's not a real account, that shouldn't be on Twitter. And they've right. got to like, close that all up and, and clean it up. And mm-hmm. sure, hate speech, 100%. Like, no way. There's no place for yeah. that. But so I, yeah, hopefully. He, hopefully it, it'll be a really, I think yeah, it'll be a really uh, good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah totally. mm-hmm. And just a brilliant troll by Elon oh, also, sure. as usual. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. I'm excited about this next one. So yesterday, today's Thursday, April 7th. So I guess it was yesterday that news broke that fast, which is, um, I guess from everyone's perspective was a very high growth startup that was founded in 2019 shut down. So I guess like top line and you may know more, but essentially they, they started in 2019. Looks like they've raised almost 125 million. Yep. Since being founded in 2019, Stripe led a uh, hundred. Stripe led a big round in 2021. Um, in the fall of 2021. So basically, what's happened is this company who raised on this massive valuation raised a bunch of cash. Come to find out, <laughs> they're burning 10 million a month to generate 50,000 a month in sales. So yeah. let's stop there. <laughs> yeah. And well, and what happened here? Someone didn't. Like my first gut is there's some fraud involved because like the fall of 2021 is like six months ago. Yeah. And I can't, I can't for the life of me work out if you're looking at a financial statement and, and any kind of just one sheet P and L on a company right. that if you were seeing 10 million being burned and 50 grand being earned, that, mm-hmm. that, that would not raise some kind of flag. Right, that that's that's an like you burn you spend money to grow, hundred um, percent. Mm-hmm. But that's insane. Like spending yep. ten million to get fifty fifty k. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's some fraud here. Certainly, someone was not dotting the i's and crossing the t's on on funding the round. So I mean, it goes without saying that that's unsustainable. And it's obviously that's it. They're they're closing the doors. I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's mm-hmm. it. You can't. You just can't do that. And doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And and 
you know, also the product, it was a it was a one click kind of paying button on websites. It was just and one, it was Google, just a button, that's right? All that's all it was. So it was. And you know, when you're up against uh, Amazon Pay, PayPal, you know, Shopify, like mm-hmm. these guys all do it really well. They're they're already pumping billions of dollars through their, you know, yep. transaction platform. <sighs> Someone saw something in it, but I, it doesn't shock me. How, how does somebody raise a hundred and twenty-five million? I mean, uh, I, it it's actually not that hard. <laughs> um, like, and there's that's that's a lot for a you know a seed or an A round. Mm-hmm. But it, even though the public markets are getting beat up right now, the the amount of money that's been made in the last mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. Within venture and private equity is is you know unimaginable. So if you have an idea and you show some kind of product market fit and you can you know do some kind of pro form around five years and show that you've got this really big TAM, like there's so much money out there and they've got to put mm-hmm. it to work. Like venture funds exist to spend money, invest, take bets, you know, bet mm-hmm. on entrepreneurs, bet on ideas, and they're going to get that money deployed. And while it's sitting in the bank account earning, you know, 1% interest, they're going backwards. They're trying to 10X this, right? So right. sometimes um, silly money follows silly ideas and mm-hmm. you get situations like this. But, um, you know, it's just not that hard to raise money in this right. kind of environment. And I don't don't think that's going to change. We've had, we've had 15 to 20 years of compounding returns like we've never seen. And every single, you know, every day, and I know some of them and I talk to some of them and I just read every day I hear a new fund, you know, I, I have a neighbor mm-hmm. in, in uh, Park City, I think like, he's a private equity guy. I got man has, he goes, yeah, I'm fundraising at the moment. I'll go, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, I'm, we're doing a $2 billion fund. And, and uh, I said, oh, how long is that going to take? He says, ah, you know, maybe three months, you know, we'll have it all buttoned up. Wow. And, and so he like, and his job is to go and, you know, get the cash for the next fund and then go mm-hmm. and then, they go and deploy that, and yeah. uh, and they don't even do much tech. They they do Midwest a lot of industrial stuff, mm. and uh, and I said, how come it's so easy to raise that much money that quickly? He goes, well, everybody who's invested in the previous seven funds is just dying to give you money again because they gave you ten million, you gave them back fifty, and so right. then they get twenty five of that and give it to you again because you're going to give them back. It's just so that's been going on. For 20 years now mm-hmm. and as a result there's just which is great right because even though we might have a recession um you know coming up here or things might slow and growth might pull back best time to start a business is when the economy is bad uh, mm-hmm. and you know i think there's going to be tons of capital around to uh mm-hmm. to go and grow, grow companies yeah so kind of like uh i guess one of my practical questions when i read a story like this is um so this founder, and this, I guess this is more of those like how the sausage is made kind of questions, like yeah. nitty gritty. When I read a story like this and I see this founder who's raised this much money, talk to me about, I guess, like some of the behind the scenes practicalities of this. Like this this founder has probably made tens of millions of dollars personally from selling his equity in this business. Like, how does that work? I mean, because yeah. I, like, I think for the average person can look at this and like you said, there's fraud involved potentially. But yeah, this guy know, has you know, has been like, like I, founders don't usually make money until 
uh, year five to 10, where mm-hmm. you have a business that's making money, where you can go and do a round and, and have what's called secondary as a part of the right. round. So typically you're raising money to go spend in your business, to grow your business. Mm-hmm. Certainly spending 10 million to earn 50,000, not good. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. spending a million a month to make half a million a month, do that all day long because that half a million is going to get to a million at some point, you know, right. you're going to go past and you're going to be making a profit. Um, mm-hmm. but, but founders get issued what's known as common stock, typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Investors get preferred stock. Preferred stock gets paid first when there's a liquidation event until such time. And, and preferred stock is worth more in the private you know, market until there's, there's a point where common stock is now less risky Right, i.e., the business has got you know big market share. It's gone profitable. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's, it's like no longer it's no longer a um, risky like a, a risky startup. It's now a a sustainable, stable business. Right, right. So now you're in your series, you know, C and D, and like now your business is maturing. It's still a growth business. You're still spending money to make money, but you know, investors and especially of late in the last five years, you know, founders. Like they want to buy a house too, and they've lived and bootstrapped and everything. So, but it's mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be shocked if this guy got a lot of money early from this deal because typically founders don't do that. Got it, got it. Okay, so this isn't a scenario. The average person reads this and sees this company raised one hundred and forty million dollars or whatever it is. Yeah, and then now they're shutting down their business. Um, yeah. there's not just like there's not a team of people behind the scenes who have each made millions of dollars and no, are now just going no, in. No, no, someone's yeah. lost you know 125 million. That's what's happened. Yep. And yep. and a bunch of bunch of people. And he you know he was probably on 150 grand a year just you know trying to make a living, probably living in the valley or somewhere expensive where 150 mm-hmm. k gets you nothing, and yep. just grinding it out. But you know there's this mm-hmm. famous scene. I don't know if you what if you're watching um uh we we crashed. The one mm. on Adam Newman is that the who the yeah the the Hulu show right on WeWork yeah yeah I, it's so, on the list I want to watch it yeah there's a yeah it's really good so there's a scene where I mean it's year whatever of of uh, a WeWork it's you know he just got the four billion from Massa mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and SoftBank and he's like go flying all these buying jets and stuff like this mm-hmm. and but he doesn't have much personal money and Jamie mm-hmm. Diamond of jp morgan chase he goes he goes to the branch at first and says i need a line of credit for 50 million the guy's like and he's like just google me so he goes up to see jamie diamond jamie diamond's like he's like can i have 50 million dollar line of credit and jamie just says you need 100 consider me your personal banker <laughs> so he gets 100 million <laughs> against the stock of we work right against the stock right yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. anyway that is uh man so Let's okay. Let's uh, let's pretend for a second that this wasn't fraud. Let's pretend this was yep. a CEO that was great in a boardroom. He was yep. he was a great pitchman. He was super optimistic and focused on his business. And let's say he just he had all the best intentions in the world, wildly right. optimistic. Right. Where did where's the line between um, that optimism and salesmanship and just straight up? fraud and yeah. uh, basically lying to, yeah. well, <laughs> to investors. The, the lessons for me in, in this is when you're running your business and you're trying to grow it and you're trying to grow it fast, that's going to cost. And I, 
on a daily basis wanted to know my cash position, i.e. money that we've either made and it's profit and it's sitting in a bank somewhere or money that we've raised and that's sitting in our bank. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we talked about this, the, what's the runway? So if, if it's costing me um, 250000 a month to run my business and I've got a million in the bank, but I'm not making a profit, I've got four months till the company dies. Mm-hmm. Um, if I've got five million in the bank, I've got a couple of years before the company dies. At some point, I've got to see revenue go up and hit that point to where my what costs me to run the business. I've got to get to two hundred fifty. If I'm spending two fifty to grow and and employ people and like all oh, all the you know top line stuff that it costs you to run your business. At some point, I've got to I got to have a date in the future. So if I'm at 100k revenue and I'm growing 10% a month, I can look out and go, oh, well, I'm gonna if I keep my expenses at 250, my revenue is going to hit that in 13 months. The problem is, is I want to grow faster, so I spend more than 250. I start buying more Google ads. I start putting on more engineers, and now my 250 costs. But that's okay if I can draw the line to profitability. And if I can't, and my company is still growing and there's still plenty of market to go get, I'll go back to the venture crowds and I'll say, hey, listen, here's what we've done. We're in year three. Can you give me another 10 million? Here's how we're going to spend it. And boom, and they'll do it because they can see it. So Mm -hmm. this was a 2019 company. I cannot, unless they had a bunch of business and then lost it or they couldn't, like, Mm. I don't know how. You get this money and in two years, burn it all. It's gone. Without having the correlation of those numbers. Mm -hmm. It's expenses and revenue. And so it's not knowing your runway. And I'm just, that's why I'm just, I don't, it doesn't add up to me. Because you you Mm -hmm. don't just go and burn millions of dollars every month with no trajectory to profitability. Right. Or at least, you know, getting to this point where you go back to the marketplace and get more cash and you've got this approval business because to get that much money, you have to show some, uh, uh, some statements some, some financial statements about like, how are you going to do this? Yeah. Well, that was going to be my question, right? Like you said, if they had, if they had business booked, there would be contracts or term sheets or letter of intent, like, yeah, all of that right. to get the money, but you know, to get the money is what I, in a sense of, in a sense of, they they were able to go and say, look at this, look at this revenue we have coming down the pipe, yeah, right? They, they had a they had a P and L statement and a balance sheet at, at a minimum, and like those are two big pieces of paper, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. they want more than that. They usually want to want you know a customer list and blah blah blah, and they're going to do a technical review on the product and blah blah blah. But at a minimum, you you got a P and L and a balance sheet, balance statement mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. I, it just yeah I'm, I'm okay at it this guy's a million times smarter than me that would look at that in mm-hmm. about eight seconds and go what something's what, not what's going something's on? not right here yeah. yeah weird okay yeah um super fascinating story it'll be interesting to see what this ceo does next yeah um, what the next what the next situation is for him yeah look, um, look there's a pretty good chance he'll get another chance you know mm-hmm. right, <laughs> right. Valley is doing something very right? forgiving 
Yeah. Um, okay, so this next topic quickly is just a tweet that I, I read this week. And we, we talk about this a lot, um, these kinds of things, but I think it's really important. And yeah. if there's anything we're going to be repetitive about, it'll probably be things in this world. But um, I love this tweet. In a startup, you should seek out activities that seem hard, boring, annoying, and unscalable. The highest value tasks are often hidden amongst them, and no one else has noticed because they seem unappealing on the surface. That's a true statement. Um, give me like an example of of yep. something like that. And obviously, we we talk a lot about doing things that are unscalable, but um, I think it's just worth talking about again. Totally. So you know, I had someone pitch me an idea the other day around insurance. Hmm. Right? Doesn't get more hmm. more boring than insurance. And he has been in and around the insurance industry at giant companies. And he's like, hey, I got this idea um, for this, you know, for a software business that served the insurance industry. And he explained it all to me. I understood it instantly. And I said, who's the competitor? He says, there's none. And it's a classic, you know, the 70-year-old guys in the boardrooms of insurance companies have not embraced technology. Now you've got all these insurance startups like Lemonade and you know, and then mm -hmm. things like Geico and that have, have really kind of shifted. This yeah. was more of a this was more of an enterprise level piece of software that would that would serve the insurance company behind the scenes okay. in the back office. Mm -hmm. And he said it's all it's all so antiquated, you know. So I, so he's doing a business plan and you know like. We might go and try and find some money to do it, but but that's the classic mm -hmm. thing, right? You've got, and then certainly in my case, Ryan, I, you know, it, it was a uh, hundred and thirty billion dollars essentially, you know, being given to churches in cash and check. Mm -hmm. So, what's the opportunity? Digitization of mm -hmm. of charitable giving. So yeah. that that's a kind of a classic thing. You're looking for something that's, you know, and he, I think he uses the 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 term here: um, hard, boring, um, annoying. annoying. You know, and unscalable. Yeah, and and so like, so yeah, th those are classic things. Um, I I know a guy who company they they built an app to help property managers collect the rent, do mm -hmm. do the you know background checks on the tenants. Like it's just a bundle mm -hmm. piece of software, right? Mm -hmm. um, a billion dollar company now. <laughs> so yeah. or, if you can take anything that's done manually and digitize it. Slap mm -hmm. software and put some payments inside of it. That's the that's the quickest way to you know building a, a pretty uh, awesome company. Yeah, let's say somebody has uh, okay. So like even hearing you say that, my mind starts thinking about okay, what what in my world that I look around and see all the time is something that needs to be just needs some some new technology brought to it. Yeah, there's nothing about me that is a as a technologist and no, I'm not either. I'm not a developer. No. Um, how does somebody go about, and this is like actually a really practical question. So let's say someone has this idea they want to model out. They want to build a MVP of an app. Yep. Um, do they go on Fiverr and hire a developer? Do they find someone in that they know? What if they don't know a developer? Do they find someone and say, hey, can you build this for me for free and I'll give you half the business? Like, yep. I don't know. What are some different ways? I have a friend right now actually that right. has this idea for uh, in a certain part of the publishing publishing right. industry and it's sort of like he's got this idea he's not a developer he's having a difficult right. time finding a developer because everyone's got well, 30 projects they're working on right what um, i would do is i go you need two things to start 
um, uh, a software, you know, kind of technical type business. You need a co-founder that can go and sell it and you need a co-founder that can go and build it. Build it. So the only, and, and we all know engineers are hard to find. They're super expensive. The only way you're going to get a technical co-founder is to make them a co-founder. <laughs> like the only way you're going to get the technical need fulfilled is by having it. So, you know, there's tons of forums, tons of networks. Doesn't matter where yeah. you live, there's a tech scene. You just mm-hmm. got to go do the hard work of meeting people, you know, turning up at stuff, find out, you know, where all that kind of um, world is, is, you know, happening in your city and go and start making friends. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, I think we had an episode on choosing your co-founder and your co-founder and the values and all that. You got to go through all that, right? Maybe we mm-hmm. link back to that part because, yep. we'll you know, that, that. Yeah. The, choosing a co-founder is really important, but um, you, you basically are going to need a, a co-founder. If you're a non-technical, you're going to need a co-founder who is technical so you can go and get your MP, MVP out. On the other side too, I was talking to a young guy the other day um, doing something in mobile and, you know, he's a technical guy and he needs mm-hmm. he needs uh, a, a management sales, you know, not marketing so much but because um, mm-hmm. that's kind of another skill set. But, you know, you just you got to do everything at the beginning yourself mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's super rare that you have a technical person that can go and be the front face and go yeah. and tell it <laughs> and uh and i was really fortunate right i had barn um mm-hmm. you know the the uh the oldest savant son yep. could the builder build, yeah. <laughs> just build stuff so uh, we had yep. a head start but you know that's that's critical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um do you so this statement on this tweet, and then we can jump to the next one, but the highest value tasks are often hid, hidden amongst the things that are, you know, hard, boring, annoying, unscalable. Right. No one has noticed. Do you think like, is there a world in which so like you're starting a business, you're a founder, how often do you just sit and just look through the nuts and bolts of what it is that you're doing and just like rethrow stuff up against the wall? Um, the in time. other words, like there's this idea of working the business versus working on the business, right? So, yeah. um, you just, you're, you're in it, man. You are got to live that thing 24 seven. And mm-hmm. it, it, as you grow, it gets more difficult to do that. You start hiring people to do things that you used to do. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, man, I, we've had situations where I, I wished I had my eyes on things for periods of time where I didn't, cause I hired other people to have their eyes on things. I didn't see them. Uh, like I saw them or, or didn't have the expertise mm-hmm. that I hired them for to see what I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. You just got to be in it, man. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, we hate doing death by meetings, but it's it's constantly, weekly, daily, you know, five minutes at the beginning of the day, five minutes at the end of the day, what got done, what are we working on, like all of that. You just, there's no shortcut to any mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and you've just you just got to live, eat, sleep, breathe this thing for the first five mm-hmm. years. Otherwise, you're going to get crushed mm-hmm. and, and die pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, so our last topic here, we've got a listener question that got sent in this week. Um, really good question. So, what do you do when you have a business partner? Uh, they these are faith-based. These are Christian entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, their business partner's an unbeliever yep. um, who thinks they're pulling their weight, but they're not. How do you handle it? In other words, yeah. how do you handle a... Misalignment <laughs> with, with, the, with the founders. 
misalignment with yeah what is what is hard work what is focus you know i think oftentimes a lot of people that are listening you know you may both be you may have a co-founder you both have full-time jobs and you both have lives and this is something you're doing on the side and you're like wait a minute i'm i'm the one staying up till one or two in the morning um yeah look what do you what do you do there i I mean you've got to have the you got to have the courage to win it first when the when the differentiation of effort first starts to feel um not not weighted correctly you got to have the conversation straight away so that'd be number one mm-hmm. so always speak if there's one thing that i wished i'd learned earlier is to speak up quicker about anything right employees underperforming something going wrong in the company like just gotta go quick and you gotta mm-hmm. and you and you can do it in such a way is it doesn't have to be overly confrontational in the beginning the problem is is Mm -hmm. that you leave it so long then it's got to be a big confrontation so Mm -hmm. you do it earlier it's like hey um michael you know i i did i did about 30 hours you know on top of my job like last you know week on the business you you got Mm -hmm. any idea what you did right and you're gonna (laughs) go you're either gonna lie to me or 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 tell me the truth and tell me you did six hours and then yep. we're going to go, mate, <laughs> like we mm-hmm. can't keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go, mm-hmm. if you're honest, you're going to go, yeah, we can't. Right. So let's have a talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if you do that well, and it, earlier than later. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like regularly coming back and setting the expectations at off the front and right. then, and then continuing to like revisit those. Right. I mean, oftentimes yeah the expertise one person brings may not take as much time as what somebody else is doing. Right. We're just talking about time, but it's more like buy-in effort focus. Yeah. Um, and- yeah. And, and look, they're an unbeliever, you know, which is, I've, I've shared my views on that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm in business with unbelievers and it goes great. Um, you know, I, I've gotten to influence some, um, yep. you know, as a result, but, no, look, it's just uh, expectations set up front, early conversations. No need to be overly confrontational if you talk about it regularly and early. And then there's, mm-hmm. there's still misalignment, you know. It's hard because it, it, he's got the second part of the question here, which is, you know, um, in that vein, how do you decide you who gets, gets to pay when you move from an LLC to an escort? The question I think is at least what it seems like is okay, we've been doing this on the side, right? It's now time for someone to start maybe coming on and right. you know, paying ourselves something totally. or you know, going full time. Um, well, whoever does the work gets paid, right? So, <laughs> if, if, the, if the one partner who's actually doing all the work and there's actually some money to actually start paying people, mm-hmm. non working like executives or non-working owners or non-working board members until mm-hmm. the thing is really up and going and established may get a, some kind of stipend as a board member or a non-executive, mm-hmm. you know, owner, mm-hmm. it's that they don't get money for a long time. Right. It's, it's the people who are doing the work. And, right. uh, and so that's actually an easier moment because if one partner is going to go full time and work the business, they're the ones going to draw the salary. The one that right. the one other one that has a percentage, you know, it's going to get profit distribution when you know quarterly or when quarterly, that happens, yeah, right. But they're not getting paid for working the business until such time as they do, and maybe they leave their mm-hmm. job and then they come on and they 
you know, mm-hmm. and then and then you've got to work that out from there. So um, mm-hmm. that's actually a good moment to probably fix some of this by, you know, going an LLC, S Corp, C Corp, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that, that's when there's a differentiator, there's revenue, there's people working right. hard to earn the revenue, they get paid for that. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think? And I know we've probably touched on this before, but what do you think um, is the moment where you go, okay, me and two buddies, we're doing this thing on the side. We've got some revenue. We've been putting the money back into the business. What's the point where you, someone says, okay, I'm going to now leave my job and do this full time. Right. Is that when, yep. is that when you've hit a ceiling in growth? Uh, um, or, or you're missing out on growth opportunity because the focus is divided. Right. When do you make that decision? Hopefully not that. Hopefully it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I need 80 grand to spend my life, right? Pay my bills mm-hmm. and I'm earning that in my day job. Um, and the, the business is now projected to do 200 in revenue, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you've hired mm-hmm. a couple of people before you even. Um, mm-hmm. and, but there is this point now where you can actually draw a wage and replace what, you know, or come close to it, or maybe you cut back and take a pay cut to come on full time. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I just think it's, um, there's a moment where you have to do it because having full time, more of your energy to do so is, is going to be really good for the business and mm-hmm. more focus, more time, more of your expertise going into growing your company. So as soon as you can, you should do it. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't bootstrap forever. Otherwise, you know, things are probably not going to work. So if there's right. revenue, you might hire a couple of people. You might hire an engineer or, you know, marketing before you go full, full time. But mm-hmm. you should be one of the first employees. This is when, if you're bootstrapping. Now, if you've got funding, you know, if you go raise, you know, 500K and, and they're really, they're giving you that 500K to go and you got to go work full time. So you're going to draw, mm-hmm. you know, a salary that is not exorbitant. That's going to, cause you know, you've only right. got 500, right? So you're going to pay yourself mm-hmm. and you've got to grow the company now. And you've mm-hmm. got, you know, 12 months of runway to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And so much of that is probably determined by the kind of business it is. Yep. Right. Whether much. or not you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very much. Cool. Any other thoughts, anything you've been like reading, listen to like uh, yeah. lately that is anything else on your mind? No, just, you know, I think uh, if if this is a moment in history where the uh, fundamentals of business growth are a little bit unknown, we've got geopolitics, we've got um, choppy markets, we've got a period of almost 20 years of un, un, just relenting growth. Mm-hmm. Like we've had an expansion probably has been the biggest in the history of the world as far as the economy goes. Mm-hmm. And so now we've got, uh, you know, high interest rates, high inflation. So we've got this kind of period here for maybe 12 or 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. In my uh, experience, best time to start something. So, mm-hmm. I, so the, the kind of the thing I'd say to young entrepreneurs is don't be discouraged by what's going on in Russia or, or you know, a higher interest rate environment or a high inflation mm-hmm. environment. Um, those are great times to yeah. start. Now, you know, in 2000, the dot-com bubble crushed a lot of businesses. And, you know, it, it, it takes, you know, I have an old mate who's a, he's a commercial plumber and he's passed away now. But he, he would say to me, when things were good, anyone could be a plumber. Like when, when <laughs> housing was up mm-hmm. and, and so the quality went down. 
Mm-hmm. And and but but he didn't mind when it got really hard when the economy turned and well, there wasn't as much construction because all the guys that were no good got thrown out and only the guys who really knew what they're doing stayed in the business. And so you know there's booms and busts, ebbs and flows in everything to life. But don't be discouraged if you want to start something now because it's a fantastic time to do so. Love that. Awesome, Dean. Thank you. Love as it, man. usual. Talk soon. Hey, if you're listening and you have questions, hit us up. Reach yeah. out to us on Instagram, Twitter, email, mw at vast.faith. Um, and um, yeah, reach out. We'd love to answer your question. We'd love to just talk more about what's going on with you. So um, hit us up awesome. and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Dean. See ya. 